The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. <laughs> Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. The calendar is set for one final turn, 280 grueling days since the USC Trojans last did battle. An off-season of highs and lows, transfers and offensive coordinator hires comes to a long-awaited end with the fate of head coach Clay Helton hanging in the balance. Can Troy be rebuilt like their Irish rivals? Will a new air raid attack take hold? Or will the frustrations of yesteryear once again ring true? Saturday night in the Coliseum, a season of answers will start to tell its story. It's USC, it's Fresno State, it's yet another season of Trojan football. Raina Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Get Michael Castillo on the phone. <laughs> Scrap, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Oh, I can't believe USB is 5 and 7 and not going to a ball. Oh. All right, Trojan fans, turn up the volume. It's time for Reign of Troy Radio. Here's your host, Michael Castillo. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Reign of Troy Radio, episode 328, coming to you on Thursday, August 29th. There's our first game preview episode of the season. USC and Fresno State locking horns Saturday night at the Coliseum. We're going to give you our predictions, break it down, and so much more here on this episode. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy, like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, and Spreaker. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Our email address is Reign of Troy at fansided.com and our phone number is 213-373-1872. I'm your host, Michael Castillo. Join along with my co-host, Alicia Daratola. Hello, everybody. Hello, Alicia. This has been a crazy week already. Super hectic. Uh, we are recording this uh, late in the wee hours, basically, on Tuesday night. But this just means this is what game week is all about. Game previews, having long podcasts, all that stuff. I'm super excited for it. Football at the Coliseum on Saturday night, USC and Fresno State. Well, we can actually talk about like matchups. Like We can actually talk about actual real things that are about to happen in a matter of days instead of just hopeless speculation one way or another about how things you know might play out and this that and the other thing like no we can actually literally point to usc and fresno state will be playing on saturday these are the players these are the matchups mm-hmm. these are the things that we're looking at and we're we're days away from knowing some things for once after the longest off season in 
history. Yeah, we can sit here and be like, how is USC going to stop Jared Rice, Fresno State's star tight end? I don't know. We're going to break that down. But there's a lot of stuff that we're doing uh, this week, including starting our Reign of Troy Pick'em League over on Yahoo. You can join by going to Yahoo's Fantasy Sports and putting in the group ID 9188 for the college football Pick'em Leagues. And the password is ROTBOT, R-O-T-B-O-T, all lowercase. It's going to be fun. We're doing it for bragging rights. And we did it last year. And we had dozens and dozens and dozens of people competing. And it was, uh, it was super fun to pick games. Who's going to win against the spread uh, each week in the top 25 and in the Pac-12? Yeah, and I made my picks tonight, Tuesday night. And I'm reminded why picking against the spread is a pain in the butt in week one. You get these huge spreads and it's like... 32 points that Wazoo is favored over New Mexico State? Like, I don't know. Like, that's difficult. Super difficult. It's, yeah. it's a coin flip. They they could they could absolutely dominate in that game and still not cover a 32-point spread. Like, right. Yeah, we'll talk about that more later, but it's just, uh, yeah, a But this struggle. is why you get, you get extra points for being the genius who actually figures that stuff out. So go do that, Yahoo Fantasy Sports. Uh, join the Reign of Troy Pick'em League. Again, group ID 9188, password ROTBOT, lowercase R-O-T-B-O-T. Also, this Friday night, Rockin' Brews in El Segundo, 7 p.m., we're going to have our uh, kickoff meetup, season kickoff meetup, whatever you want to call it. Hang out with you guys. Talk about USC football. Uh, our, our friends on on the uh, our Slack channel, the, the ROT crew on Patreon are going to be there. Uh, our friends from uh, Trailer Hates Thursdays are going to be there. Uh, Kenneth Martin and Simon Jabari are both going to be there, and it's going to be it's going to be a blast. So join us, El Segundo, 7 p.m. on Friday night uh, at Rock and Bruce. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. That that that's the real first. It's it's like get what it, what do we call it? Game day Eve. It's the first yeah. game day Eve of the season, and it's going to feel like it's like pre tailgating or so or, or something like that. Like it's it's signals the start of the weekend uh, even more so than the games that are going to be hitting us on Thursday. Yeah, and more meetups on the way. Uh, we're finalizing with our pals over from Utah uh, a place to have a meetup before the BYU game on that Friday night uh, over in the uh, the Salt Lake area, more than likely. Um, it's going to be a grand old time for that, too. So keep an eye out for that. We'll give you a time and location when we lock that down. And the last thing to note here before we get into this preview is that there's so much more content heading your way over on Patreon. Our pregame Q&A will drop on Friday. If you are a Patreon subscriber, if you're not, now's the perfect time. Patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. For as little as $5.55 a month, you get all of our bonus content. You get to help support the show, help us go to road games, help us improve our audio equipment, uh, and so much more. Uh, for 10 bucks, you get to join our Slack channel and hang out with us online all day, 24-7, whenever you want. Uh, it is a grand old time. I keep saying grand old time. Where the hell did this come from? You, like, turned into, like, some sort of, like, 1920s commentator or something like I that? I know. I don't know. It's very weird. Like, you know when people say, oh, ain't that a treat? Like, I think that's a weird saying, and suddenly grand old time is, like, right up there. But I don't think I've ever is, said ain't that a treat. That does feel like an old person... No, you say that all the time. Whenever you're recording a podcast and there's a guest and it's just you and the guest, you're like, this will be a real treat. Well, yeah, but I don't say ain't. But you say it's a treat. Right. But for me, the quaintness of that statement is the ain't. 
don't think I've ever used ain't like in actual serious conversation. Never? You Never. use the word clothing, but not ain't? Unless I'm like quoting a song or something like that, like. Ain't that a kick in the head or something like that? I don't think I've ever used the word ain't. Uh, the point is, if there ain't a better time to join Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy, uh, where you can join our Patreon. Uh, get all the content and help support the show. Uh, but let's get on with this thing. We'll be right back. Talk about the news and then get into USC and Fresno State. We'll be right back. Alicia, let's talk about the USC quarterback situation. Suddenly, it is a little less full of a cupboard. Uh, Jack Sears announced on Tuesday afternoon his intentions to enter the transfer portal. Uh, he posted a long statement on Twitter and said, quote, The past week has been a difficult time, a bump in the road, and it makes me realize that life is not linear. In an effort to make a good, informed, and non-rust decision, it is time for me to enter the portal. He would continue to say, I will continue to train and work out and have told Coach Helton that I am available if the team needs me. Um, he's going to transfer more than likely at the end of the semester after he graduates, which will allow him to transfer and be a graduate transfer and play immediately and have two years to play too. Um, not a surprise when he was named the fourth string quarterback. Uh, it seemed ine um, inevitable that he was going to transfer at the end of the year with the new transfer rules where you're allowed to get into the transfer portal and have contact with other schools. It makes sense to put yourself in the transfer portal right away uh, and, like Jack Sears said, make a good, informed, non-rush decision. Yeah, it, the, the timing of it, it, it really comes down to him wanting to be able to talk to other teams uh, during during this stretch of, of the fall. You look at someone like Matt Fink and you could see Matt Fink also leaving after this semester, but sticking with the team and, and still being able to practice and all that. I, maybe that's the difference between being the fourth guy on the depth chart and the and the third guy on the depth chart. But uh, it's a it's a weird kind of situation. And there's a lot of sort of conspiracy theory spinning that's going on right now. And I don't know that I buy all of it, but the 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 Jack Sears is transferring thing is is on it on the surface no surprise at all uh he was always going to go look to see where he could end up fighting for for actual real playing time but it's also the kind of thing where you know USC got through last season with three quarterbacks i think USC will be fine getting through this season with three quarterbacks and the the my my overriding response to everything that people are trying to sort of spin with this is that like Teams have got to stop letting the transfer the the transfer portal govern the way that you perceive everything. As though all decisions have to then be filtered through. Well, who could transfer and when could they transfer and all that kind of stuff. If someone wants to, if someone wants to transfer, they're gonna go and they're gonna do it on their uh, schedule. So that's sort of where I come down on it. Here's what I have found frustrating with this whole thing. Uh, we've talked about it before. Um, JT Daniels was the favorite to win the job. He won the job. Uh, everyone that's been at practice for the most part basically agreed JT Daniels was the guy. Uh, Clay Helton and Graham Harrell agreed and named him the starter. Um, after that point, I don't necessarily think it matters who's two, three, and four. But yet, for some reason, it's been like a major issue in the fan base. And shrug for me. I Like I've said it before, like I didn't care who won the competition. 
I certainly don't care who's two, three, and four. I think it was interesting that Keaton Slovis was number two. I think it's a sign of the confidence and the hope that they have for him um, to put him number two. I don't think it's this massive oversight. I don't think it's anything. I don't think it's this. I don't think it's that. And what I keep going down to is we see all this stuff in our in our comments and on Twitter about how Clay Helton mismanages situation by putting Jack Sears fourth uh, and kind of disrespected him and blah, blah, blah. I want to understand. So three years ago, people were upset. Clay Helton names Max Brown the, the, the starter over Sam Darnold. And at the time, people were saying that the reason this was happening because he didn't want Max Brown to transfer. That was the critique of the decision. I'm not saying that, that was the hardened truth or anything, but that was the critique of the decision, right? That was the narrative. Here we are three years later. JT Daniels is the guy. JT Daniels is the guy that they like. They put Jack Sears fourth. They're definitely not stringing him along to exhaust all his eligibility or anything like that. Putting him fourth is very much a, hey, you might want to look, you know, at, in other areas and maybe transfer. That's what he's doing. And yet, Helton is getting absolutely roasted for this. And I just, like, I don't get it. Like, well, it's the complete opposite situation of the Max Brown thing. So what do people want him to do? Which goes back to me. And I'm not like defending Helton's decisions about any of this. More so, I think we've lost sight of the ability on the internet to disagree with things. We cannot do it in sports, in politics, in anything. We just fundamentally can't disagree. We've gotten to a point in, in, in 2019, I don't know how the hell we got here, but we've gotten to this point where we can't disagree. If something happens that we don't like, it is the massive conspiracy and it is a crime and it is this and it's that. Why can't we just sit here and be like, ah, I like Jack Sears. I didn't like it. I wish Jack Sears was still here. Um, that's a bummer. I disagree. I don't like it. Why does everything have to be well, that means that Jack Sears was definitely getting screwed. Like, why do we have to leap to all these conclusions? And I'm not saying that these conclusions are right or wrong. It's just like, USC had four quarterbacks. Someone had to be named fourth. Somebody was going to transfer. Like, none of this is a shock. Why are we sitting here, like, making mountains out of a molehill? I don't get it. To sort of expand on on what you were saying about not being able to to disagree, I think we're not able to look at things from somebody else's perspective. For instance, the quarterback battle. I wouldn't have had Keaton Slovis second. I would have had him fourth because I've got no interest in seeing USC break in another fresh, true freshman quarterback. Right. But I am not Graham Harrell. I am not in the meetings with these guys. I am not running over the playbook with these guys. I am not examining film with these guys. I am not sitting at a table with them doing this, doing the work that goes behind the scenes. All I've seen is a fraction of of what this quarterback battle is. And uh, most of the people who are freaking the hell out on Twitter have seen less than the fraction that I've seen uh, because all they, the, the, the only um, sample size they have of, of Jack Sears is the ASU game. Well, combine the ASU game with the uh, practice performances of the last two years. And also the recurring theme. This is, this is my thing is I look at the quarterbacks and I have my preferences that are based on me. Graham Harrell looks at the quarterbacks and he gets to have his preferences that are preferences that are based on him. He might have a different set of standards that he's looking at. He might value different qualities over the things that I value. That's okay. We can, like you said, we can disagree on what those, on what those things are, but it doesn't have, like you said, it doesn't have to be a conspiracy where, you know, this is, this is to make sure that uh, the, 
the team knows that JT is number one or that, you know, you're trying to force him to transfer or uh, you made a deal with JT in modern day that he had to be the starter. And, you know, the, all these extra, you know, internal, external politics and all that kind of stuff. Why, I, I put this on Twitter. Jack Sears was three of three in 2018 when Brian Ellis and T. Martin and Clay Hilton were doing the evaluating for that quarterback battle. In 2019, he's four of four when Graham Harrell and John David Baker and Clay Hilton are doing the evaluating for this quarterback battle. Now, maybe you could sit here and say that Clay Hilton's being diabolical and is forcing Jack Sears out of the program, which, sure, explain that to me. The, the, you know that, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Or maybe Jack Sears is exactly what Brian Ellis told us he was, lagging behind in the, cl- in the classroom in terms of the football stuff, lagging behind in film study, lagging behind in, in, get- in grasping the concepts. And, and if you are Graham Harrell, if I put myself in Graham Harrell's shoes and I look at it and I say to myself, well, uh, I need first and foremost a quarterback who is consistent, but I also need a quarterback who is cerebral. I need a quarterback who gets the system. I need a quarterback who doesn't have all the, the physical talents that's not necessary. It comes down to what is their brain doing when I set them in this system. If Keaton Slovis has a better mind for this this offense, then that's where Graham Harrell is going with it. And it's just it just comes down to what what do you value the most when you're making these evaluations. And I think people can't see that, that maybe Graham Harrell is looking at it differently than the media member in the media pen or the fan who was watching one game and wasn't there for the 90% of the interactions that all of these quarterbacks had. Like, everyone needs to to take a step back and recognize how much of the picture they've actually seen and how much of the picture they haven't seen and how that might be playing a role in how these things come together, too. Uh, I, I just, yeah, I, I think that, that that would do a lot of people a lot of good. Yeah, and I'm just looking at it from a very pragmatic sense jack sears is the fourth guy on the on the depth chart uh yeah he should look elsewhere um and if you're clay helton i think that whether it's subliminal or outright i i don't think there's a crime in telling jack sears to look elsewhere either so we're, we're talking about the fourth string quarterback we're talking about potentially a number two quarterback right of, of people wanting him number two usc has a starting quarterback if sc goes down to you know the second or third string quarterback more than likely, there'll be more problems on this team than just at quarterback. Let's just take a deep breath and see how the season plays out. So uh, that's how it stands. Jack Sears is set to explore his options and probably transfer at the end of the semester as a graduate transfer. Uh, I think it'll be great to see where he goes and, and the opportunities he gets more power to him. Um, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what he's able to put together if he gets an opportunity that works best for him. Uh, other news that came out on Tuesday, Solomon Tuliapupu is done for the year. He practiced for like one week in the spring, and uh, Clay Helton confirmed that he had a second foot surgery, and he essentially gives him a medical red shirt, which will allow him to have a sixth year if he seeks it out, um, you know, down the line. Yeah, I guess it's just a question of, will he... Because I, f- I feel like the scenario that has him taking the sixth year is a scenario where he hasn't necessarily lived up to his potential in the first couple of years, right? Like, Yeah, I, I could see a situation where if, if Solomon Tuliapupu is a reliable playmaker for USC in two years, 
uh, yeah, you, you you take your shot, especially when you had injury concerns, then you go to the NFL. Kind of like what George Farmer did. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, uh, you know, the good news is, is that they're addressing the issue now and getting it right and getting it done. And with any luck, Solomon Tulip will be able to come back out uh, next year and, and be able to contribute. But it is a bummer that that this kind of thing has, you know, dragged on and on and on and on. But uh, it's what can you do? It's medical stuff. There's there's very little you can do except for do your rehab. Keeping it with the injuries, talk about other guys who you won't be seeing on Saturday and who have not participated. Uh, Elijah Winston, Abdul-Malik McLean, Max Williams, Jordan Iasefa, Kyle Ford, Ethan Ray, and Brew McCoy. Yeah, those are guys that just haven't been practicing and uh, all have seem to have long-term either guys who are going through rehab still, like Ford and Ray and Williams, uh, or like Elijah Winston, who has a case of turf toe. Uh, Jacob Lichtenstein also is among those where he's got a calf sprain that he's been uh, working through. So, um, you know, USC feels relatively healthy right now, but those guys are all guys that are going to miss the start of the season for one reason or another. And the good news is that a lot of them probably weren't going to play a big role in week one to begin with, but you still want to see like Elijah Winston, Abdul Malik McLean, you want to see them back in action sooner than later, uh, but no surprises there. Yeah, no one you were expecting to see on Saturday night at the Coliseum against Fresno State, which leads us into our preview portion of the episode. We'll take a quick break, we'll come right back, and we're going to break down this game between the Trojans and the Bulldogs. We'll be right back. All right, Alicia, it's our first game preview breakdown of the year. USC hosting the Fresno State Bulldogs. First time in five years, SC beat them 52-13 back in uh, 2014, the first game of the Steve Sarkeesian era. And this is a Fresno State team that's very similar to that one. Uh, That team was coming off of a great year in which they won the Mountain West. They were arguably one of the the best group of five teams. They were really damn good with Derek Carr. Uh, And then... All they, they they lost Derek Carr, they lost Devontae Adams, and they end up coming to Coliseum the next year. They get blown out by USC. I'm not saying that's going to happen in this game, but it's a similar situation in that Fresno State was 12 and two last year. They won the Mountain West. They were 16th in the S&P Plus last year. You can make the case they were the best Group of Five team in the nation, and yet they are 129th in the country in returning production. They lose a ton of guys. Only three returning starters on the offense. Uh, They have to break in four new starters on the offensive line. A new quarterback. A new quarterback who's only thrown 12 passes at the FBS level. This is a a massive overhaul for Fresno State, but they're led by Jeff Tedford, who has done a masterful job in his limited time at Fresno State, his alma mater. He completely turned around the mess that Tim DeRuder left and... I don't know what to make of Fresno State. I think they're going to be really good. We talked about this in the season predictions episode. I think they're going to be really good again. I think they could very well win the Mountain West Conference again. Week one is a tough spot for them, given all that they have to replace. USC kind of gets them at the right time. Yeah, uh, certainly when you look at USC's defense being the vulnerable side of the ball that you feel like for USC, 
uh, getting an offense that is completely overhauled. Uh, like you said, the only one returning starter on the offensive line coming back. And two of those guys on that offensive line from last year, one of them was All-Mountain all West first team, one of them was All-Mountain West second team. So they were legit guys for Fresno State. Uh, add in the quarterback. They had something like eight senior wide receivers graduate this past year. Like, I don't know how that happens, but uh, they pretty much lost all of their leading receivers except for the the returning tight end, uh, who was, uh, was is a preseason All-Mountain West. Uh, but there's just a lot of, of, of overturn that's, that's happening there on offense. So this is the right time for USC's defense, particularly USC's secondary, to get this team. Because if USC's secondary is going to be vulnerable, then... The, they couldn't pick a better matchup than going up against a receiving core that is literally all freshmen. Uh, so they're all on even playing ground, except that USC uh, has the seven players that I that I think are in USC's rotation uh, for the five positions in these in the secondary this year. All seven of them were top 150 recruits coming out of high school. So the talent gap there, all things being equal, with the inexperience on both sides of this matchup. That is a huge factor that I think works in USC's favor. Uh, so in in that sense, you literally couldn't have picked a better matchup for this this defense to sort of get their feet wet. Yeah, and it was a bulldog offense last year that relied on their passing game. Uh, they were 16th in passing S&P Plus, 85th in rushing. Uh, they only averaged uh, 154 rushing yards a game, but they were moving the ball well through the air. Uh, Team passer rating of 156.6, which was eighth in the nation. So they're a team that wants to throw the ball. We always have known that with Jeff Tedford. He's always been been labeled as a quarterback guru. Now he's got to break in a new quarterback as McMarion has graduated from last year. It's Jorge Reyna, a senior out of Pasadena. He went to West LA College, transferred to Fresno State. He had one year of starting at, at, at West LA uh, in which he put up really good numbers. These are JUCO numbers, so take them for the massive grain of salt, but completed 70% of his passes through 39 touchdowns and, and only eight picks, uh, nearly 4,000 yards passing. And last year I saw just really minimal time. So he's kind of an unknown. He He's put together decent numbers at a lower level, but, but he's really an unknown, and you don't know what to expect from him in week one. One thing that really stuck out to me reading uh, Bill Connolly's uh, preview of Fresno State for this season was him pointing out that um, because Fresno State's run offense was very meh last year, if you know, at best they were meh, um, that a lot of times that offense was uh, behind schedule uh, because they, they did try to run the ball and they just didn't really have a ton of success. And part of the reason that that offense succeeded the way that they did was because McMarion was able to put up the the plays that they needed, even though they were behind schedule. Uh, so that that is the big question for Jorge Reyna. If there if he's a step back from McMarion in terms of making those plays, then Fresno State's offense is going to struggle. Um, and and that's the the thing that I think stands out for me with with Reyna is what situation is this? Is this a Gardner Minshew with Washington State situation where he just seems to he's the senior who comes in and has that sort of experience who just seems to have have a feel for it and steps in and is fine or it has been so long since he's actually 
play. Uh, he he's never played an F. Uh, he's never started at FBS level. Certainly never against a team with the the talent that USC is going to throw Doesn't at him. Doesn't that make him not Gardner Minshew? Well, yeah, I mean, because Gardner Minshew was at Eastern Washington, and well, it was Eastern East, Washington, East, right? East Carolina. East Carolina, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, Jorge Reina, it, it's it's a huge wild card, but. You got to look at it and think, I mean, if I'm Jorge Reyna, I'm looking at it thinking like, man, it would be really nice if I had an offensive line that was here last year and, and that I could be certain that they were going to protect me because this is a game where USC is going to try and USC's defensive front is going to try to prove that they have taken a step forward from last year and, and Reyna may not be given a lot of comfort uh, to be able to to have in his first career start at FBS level. Uh, but he's a senior, so you could imagine a universe where he's calm and cool and composed and he makes things happen. But it's also, that's a rough spot to get thrown into, right? 100%. And I think it's a rough spot when you get, you talk about the matchups. You, you talk about those those receivers that are all having to be broken in, that are, that are super young, that he's got to rely on. And an offensive line that's unproven that he's got to rely on, too. It all plays in... To USC's hand defensively, I think when the 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 strength for USC on defense is the front seven. They return so much talent: Jay Tufale, a Christian Rector, Marlon Tuipulotu, Brandon Peely, all those guys up on on, on the defensive line. Who you, you got to feel like you got to you got hope for them. You, you want to see what they can do uh, if they can build on last year, which last year was a mixed bag. So you want them to progress and be able to. Take another step forward. And in the linebacker core, yeah, you lose Cam Smith, but here's Paliena Oteote, and people are super excited about him. So you got to feel good about USC's front seven, and this is kind of playing right into that hand, and you can put the secondary out there, like you mentioned a few minutes ago, and not feel like they're going up against, you know, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside from Stanford last, last year early on in week two. Yeah, absolutely. The The matchup suits them. And and the big question I have for Fresno State is, are they going to be able to be multidimensional here? Or is this are they going to have to be reliant on that pass offense and and basically sort of put themselves in a corner? Because, like I said, their running game wasn't particularly impressive. They do get they do bring back uh, Ronnie Rivers, who was their leading rusher last year, but he was their leading rusher with 743 yards. Uh, so, you know, not a world beater or anything like that. And they're having some serious issues with their with some injury stuff going on with in their running back core. Backup running back Jordan Mims is out for the season with an ankle injury. Two other backup running backs have, you know, quote unquote, um, long term injuries that that are still being determined. Uh, so they've they've had to take a linebacker, somebody who converted to linebacker who now they're taking him back to running back to, to fill the gap with as the second team running back. So this is a, a running game that wasn't that good last year that has reason to doubt, especially because Ronnie Rivers has been dealing with a hamstring injury all, all month. So we talk all the time about how hamstring injuries are, are tricky. And even when you come back, they nag. So Ronnie Rivers is not fully, you know, 100% rolling at this stage. So if Fresno State... Uh, if they're running into the teeth of USC's defense, which we agree is that defensive line, and they're not getting anything, getting put behind schedule, putting the the game in Jorge uh, um, uh, Jorge Reyna's hands, 
and then asking him to go out and beat USC secondary, which will have a talent advantage over the wide receivers that they're out there. Like, it's just like the domino effect of this doesn't seem to bode well in this. This particular matchup doesn't seem to bode well for Fresno State. Yeah, you're putting a quarterback out there and making him do a lot. Um, I think that you would be way more comfortable if he had, you know, veterans around him to to break in the new quarterback, but you, you don't. So I, I feel good about USC's ability to play defense in this game uh, and hold Fresno State down. It comes to do they have the ability to score themselves, the Trojans. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about USC's offense going up against Fresno State's defense. Fresno State's defense was the heart and soul of how good they were last year. They were 12th in S&P+. But they lose a ton of dudes. Uh, they lose the Mountain West Defensive Player of the Year, uh, Jeff Allison. He's gone to the NFL early. Uh, they lose Tate Kelly, who was first team All Mountain West and had a team high, uh, tied with with a team high of four interceptions. It's a situation where you have to figure out uh, what you're doing on defense. Uh, luckily for Fresno State, they do return more guys on defense than on offense, uh, including defensive end Michael Walker who's now moved over to uh, middle linebacker. He's first team uh, all Mountain West last year, 87 tackles, four and a half sacks, 14 tackles for loss. Those are good numbers. It's just a matter of can USC's offense be able to gel early on under Graham Harrell in the new system? And there's a lot of pressure. I think there's more pressure on USC's offense than USC's defense because of the heavy lift that, that they've had this offseason, but going out and getting the new offensive coordinator, as much pressure as there is on Clancy Pendergast, it's a fraction of the pressure on Graham Harrell. Yeah, and Graham Harrell has the tougher task because Fresno State does return more of that defense, and that defense was, like, I mean, they, they ranked, like, fourth in S&P Plus or, or, or something like that. Like, that defense was... was fourth uh, in rushing S&P Plus. Fourth in rushing S&P Plus. Yeah. And, um, and uh, in passing S&P Plus, they were 11th. So, you know, that's a, a pretty solid defense that they're, that they're putting together there. And they return some key guys. So, like you said, Tank Kelly, losing Tank Kelly is huge. Uh, but on the other side of him, Jerron Bryant is a, you know, Thorpe Award watch lister. Uh, who has 27 uh, starts under his belt already. Um, and, and at safety, they have uh, uh, Juju Hughes, who had a really, really impressive uh, year last year and can can patrol that secondary per- perfectly well, even though his partner in crime, Mike Bell, is gone. Um, so the secondary has playmakers and is sort of split in half having to rebuild on that side. But the defensive line is completely back, and they were quite good uh, last year. It's just the real the, the wild card is those is those linebackers. And like you said, when you're when you lose all th- all three starting linebackers, you replace one of them with your best defender, arguably in Michael Walker, and the other two guys are uh, a converted running back and a converted safety. So you're not exactly like in great position if you're Fresno State's defense, but you're in better position than your offense is. And you're going up against a USC offense that is going to throw more at you, but you're probably more well equipped to handle it. Right. You have a bunch of uh, tentpole guys there on defense that you can rely on that can give you the foundation that hopefully you'll be able to to take on the guys that USC is going to throw at you. 
So if you have Jerron Bryant shutting down one of USC's many wide receivers and you have Juju Hughes reading the quarterback well from the safety position and breaking up passes like he like he is wont to do and you have your best defender in in Michael Walker probably in a position that is more suited to him at middle linebacker and he's able to hit the ground running there then you gotta like your chances at least of slowing down USC's air raid which is also USC's air raid is breaking in a lot USC's offense returns pretty much everybody of note but they are running a new system they are getting into a new rhythm they are figuring themselves out and that kind of hiccup for USC on offense could be the thing that, that Fresno State's defense takes advantage of. That's the big question, is how quickly can USC work out those kinks? Let's, let's talk about the expectations. What are the expectations for USC offensively in Week 1? Uh, we were talking about the pressure that, that's on Graham Harrell, the pressure that's on USC's offense to you know prove that, that going out and making this offensive change was, was worth their while. What, what does that mean in terms of expectations? What do you need to see in Week 1? You know, to, to feel good about this this offense moving forward. Oh, well, that's, uh, you know, you need to see an offensive line that looks stable, I think, that mm-hmm. looks like they're communicating well. That would be a plus, I would say. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, the, the nice thing is that this offensive line is going to be going up against a defensive line full of veterans. And they're not going to be the most talented defensive line that they face, but they're going to be a defensive line that's going to at least test them at a at a minimum level, right? So they're not going to be able to run over this defensive line without being in good communication with each other, without being physical, without everybody doing their job and everybody being on the same page. So the problem with last year was the offensive line was not on the same page 90% of the time. And we saw that. Every time I did a rewatch, I was pointing out this play, this play, this play, one of the five guys was was messing up. So right away, we'll be able to see whether or not that's the case this time around, right? So so like that's one of my, it's not so much how many points USC puts up, although I would really like to see USC cover the spread. When you're facing a, an opponent who limited teams to 14, the, the scoring average for Fresno State's opponents last year was 14.1. And maybe you can't expect them to be that good again this year, but you'd think they'd be around the 20 point mark less, right? Well, the the most that they gave up all year was 27 to Toledo. This is a team that really held teams down. I mean, Nevada had three. Wyoming had three. New Mexico had seven. UNLV had three. Like, they were constantly limiting offenses from getting in the end zone, which is what you want to see. Right. If you're Fresno State, you certainly want to see that. If you're USC, you don't need to put up 45 points on this defense in order to be impressive. What you do need to do is is show that your offensive line is coherent, that where you're having hiccups, that they look more like uh, these are growing pains than the same catastrophic kind of miscues that USC has had in the past, you know? And I think a lot of it comes down to, is the offensive line disciplined? Are you getting false starts? Are you getting holds? Are you getting those kinds of things? Are people on the same page? Um, does JT Daniels look like he's in command of the offense? Uh, if if you have chemistry issues, that's that's not that's not a huge problem uh, with between your quarterback and your wide receiver. You you work through that. It's those core kind of things that I'm looking for. Uh, that you know, if USC puts up 30 points, that's fine by me. More than fine by me. If it looks like the offensive line and the offense in general is building towards something. 
if if the the context is there. I, I think the problem is that there's people who will want USC to to score fifty points a game, given the hype of the new offense, and that's definitely a possibility with the talent that USC has. Uh, it's a matter of seeing it. A, uh, it's a matter of B doing it against a defense that does have you know talent and has been good, like this Fresno State team. So I don't think you should expect fifty points. Uh, I think if USC is able to absolutely click on all levels, you can maybe get a repeat of that that 2014 performance where everything just goes your way. But I still think this is more of an uphill battle on offense than it is on defense for USC. The other thing uh, as well, I agree that I think this this might be a tough matchup for for the offense to to go against first thing. But I think maybe the big thing that I'm looking for is like trends. Because last year we were tracking USC coming out of halftime and being totally and completely incompetent. Uh, they they had scoreless streaks in the second half of games that were just, you know, th- the, the entire quarter plus another 10 minutes. And those long stretches of ineptitude were a huge, huge problem. So if USC is, is having, you know, a successful drive and a couple unsuccessful drives, but mixing it in where it doesn't feel like they've just totally gone flat for long, long stretches, that'll be another good sign that I think I can take a positive kind of a takeaway from when it comes to evaluating the performance. Uh, again, just don't look like you did last year. The The result can be the same in terms of the points you put up, but don't look the same. Don't let it be the same story because I'm really tired of that one. Like I saw it enough last year. It was the same thing over and over again every single week. Don't go right. up 14 points and then let them back in the game. And then, you know, you know, if, if we're making jokes about Fresno State has USC right where they want them at 14 to nothing, then you know it's not what happen. I'm looking for. I, I want it to happen now just for the hilarity of SC to go up 14 to nothing. I'm not yeah. saying that, that, <laughs> that they're going to blow a 14 to nothing lead, but it would just be funny if SC just did for the content. Yeah. It'd be great. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So that, that's the matchup for USC. Uh, the defense is has a favorable matchup going up against a uh, Fresno State offense that just has to break in a ton of new dudes, including the quarterback and four guys on the offensive line, replacing a whole new wide receiver core and the whole bit. USC's offense obviously has a crap ton of firepower, especially at, at wide receiver, but they're unproven because we haven't seen the new scheme and they're going up against the, a Fresno State defense that was pretty damn good last year. They lose a few key guys, but they at least bring back uh, enough to uh, to still be a formidable test for USC in week one. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and do over-unders and our score predictions. Uh, so we'll be right back. So you're going over. I'm feeling bold. Give me that over. I'll go under. i got to take an under here. i got three unders to take. I'm going to do an under here. All right, Alicia, let's get into our over-under for the first time this year. My opportunity to finally win over-under this year starts starts now. The, the opportunity is here. This is it. This is the season I went over-under. And I'm just letting you know right now, I'm going to set the tone this week. USC is trying to bounce back from 5-7. and seven. Michael is trying to join them by bouncing yeah. back from a long mm-hmm. over-under losing streak. Mm-hmm. Hashtag grind. It's 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 <laughs> make make or break time. Um, I, I gotta bounce back for the haters. Uh, Alicia, what's your first over under? All right, my first over under is fifteen. 
Uh, let's let's go fifteen point five just to 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 break that tie. Uh, that's carries for one USC running back. So we haven't gotten necessarily a clear answer from anybody at USC about how this running back rotation is going to work. Clay Helton spouts his lines all the time about how there's plenty of carries to go around and everybody can be be involved. We know that Mike Jinks likes using single backs, likes using featured backs. And in North Texas, Graham Harrell, over the last two years, had running backs who did seem to get featured back kind of carries, like 17 carries per game averaged uh, in, in the games that they played. So I'm cutting it down a tiny bit because I think there is more incentive to, to rotate for USC's running back core, but 15.5, that's carries for a single USC running back, whether that's Vivai Malapai, as I think it would be, or Stephen for the, Carr, for the or Marquise yeah. Yes. 15.5. So 16 would qualify as the over, correct? Yes. Yeah, I would take the under. I, I think that I think it's going to be the under for sure. Um, I think it's going to... The first thing is going to depend on how many plays USC could run. If SC can go out there and run 80 plays and they're going to run the ball uh, 35 of those times, then yeah, I could see a situation where uh, Vi gets 20, uh, Carr gets uh, 10, and Step gets whatever the leftover that is, right? I could see that situation playing out, but I think it's more than likely uh, it ends up in the kind of range that we saw last year. Vi gets like 12, Carr gets like 12, and Step gets like 4. So, give me the under. I think that's a perfectly logical kind of way to look at it. I'm going to take the over here, though. Uh, I think that there is a, a chance that USC has a, a good enough lead in this game where they're trying to run out the clock, and I think that one of the running backs will get some carries that put them over the top there. Um, and I could I could be messing myself up here because maybe you get maybe you're in a really good situation if you're USC and in the fourth quarter you're handing off a bunch of times to Marquis Step uh, because or Keenan Kristen or or whatever it is. But I think I'm taking the over on this one. I think that Mike Jinks likes one guy. I think that one guy is Vivian Malapai, uh, and and the carries will come for the one guy. All right, there you heard it. Uh, you are confident in that. Uh, let's go to my first over under. 0.5, so a.k.a. yes or no, 0.5 drives led by Keaton Slovis. So basically, will the backup quarterback get in the game? Yeah, that's the question here. <sighs> Not only that, will the backup quarterback that USC has the dep- on the depth chart as the backup quarterback get in the game? Hmm. Chestnut checkers. Hmm. I think uh, my my first thought, my instinct was, and I should just go with my instinct, was to go with the under. Because the offense is going to have a harder time going up against this, this Fresno State defense. And I think that USC is going to want to give JT Daniels as, as many drives in this game as possible. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they're going to be so far ahead at any point that it'll be, you know, obvious, clear the bench kind of stuff. Yeah. I, I could see either argument working. I, I think that the argument that you got to get reps for JT uh, is a good one, but I also could see the thinking of, well, we need to get reps for all the quarterbacks. We need to get reps for Slovis and Fink. That If you're sitting there 
that's what you'd be thinking if, if you were Helton and, and Graham Harrell. So I, I don't know. I, I, I think this is a really difficult one. I think for me it comes down to is the lead that USC could potentially have in this game going to be big enough? I don't necessarily know that it is. But uh, am I making the first pick here? Am I, am I, just I already, gonna, I already you, took the under. So You took the under. Okay, so yeah. I'm taking the over. Are you chasing? Are you chasing points already, Michael? It's no, week one. I'm not. I'm. I am not. I am not. <laughs> I am not. I, are you putting down in my head here? I am. Oh dear. I uh, am. Oh dear. Uh, what, what's your What's your next over under? Okay, my next over under is one point five. That sacks for USC. USC's defensive front. Uh, so I asked this because in 2018, USC had six games where they had one or less sacks. Fresno State, with last year's offensive line, which obviously we've already discussed, is not present. But they gave up less than one sack per game. So. Seventh in sack rate. Yeah, they were very good. Very good in terms of giving up, in terms of not giving up sacks. And USC wasn't that good in getting sacks. So. 1.5. Will USC have two uh, sacks in this game or more? Easy over for me. I think when you break in that many guys in the offensive line and when you have a front seven that is as loaded with talent as USC, you want to at least get two. Yeah, and since you're chasing points, I'm going to hold on to my points. I'm taking the over on this one, too. I'm not chasing points. No. I, no. I, I, I agree. I think that USC's defensive front will be able to generate uh, more than two sacks uh, in in this game, but uh, it will be interesting because that'll that'll be a sort of tail of the tape kind of thing where if things go wrong in this game, I think that might be a number that we're looking back at as a as a key thing. All right, uh, let's go to my second over or under, uh, over or under six and a half catches for Amon Ross St. Brown. I just picked the number there, pretty arbitrary. Uh, to me, it goes by, do you think he's going to get to seven with as many guys as USC has in the receiving core? Uh, I think we've talked about it before. Like, Amorano is going to have a ton of catches this year. Is he going to have a ton of catches in week one, I think, is the question. Yeah, this is tough. Just because USC does have so many guys that they can throw to, the touches are going to, there are going to be a lot of touches to go around, but also there are a lot of guys who are vying for those. I think I am going to go with the over on this one for this week, uh, just because we know that Amon Ross St. Brown is somebody that JT Daniels is very comfortable with. He's the the first guy he looks to when he, when he needs to just get the ball out. And I think in week one, facing this defense, the safety blanket element to, to Amon Ross St. Brown might come into play more than the variety of targets that, that JT Daniels might have available to him. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm taking the over here. I am going to uh, even it up and take the over because I don't feel confident either way. I think that I, kind of like with the Keaton Slovis thing, I think you can make a very sound argument for why it will be more or less than six and a half catches. So I'm just going to cancel you out. Over. Give me the over. <laughs> Chestnut checkers. Uh, the, let's go to the last over under that you got. What is it? 
Yeah, we're staying on the catches theme. I'm going with tight end catches, and that is said in the over-under at 2.5. So I, I came to that number because North Texas, uh, their tight end from last year, averaged 2.2 receptions per game. So I'm looking at total tight end receptions, not a single tight end, but like Eric Cromenhoek, Josh Follow, Jude Wolf combined. Will USC throw to the tight end three times or more in this game? It's an easy over for me. I think that it goes back to the idea of you want to get everyone involved early. Uh, and I think that I could see a situation where you give JT some checkdowns early on and that could result in passes to a tight end. That's so, a very over. good point. Yeah, and, and you know, having seen what we've seen in practice in spring and the fall, the tight ends were very much available for checkdowns. So I'm also going over on this one. But I don't think I think it'll be something like three. And uh, I would be very happy if it was a little more than that. But I think it'll be right around three. All right. uh, Let's go to my final over or under. Three hundred and forty nine passing yards. That was USC's high last year, which came in the Notre Dame game uh, against number three in the country, Notre Dame last year. Uh, SC had 349 passing yards from JT Daniels. Will they have that many or more in week one against Fresno State? Hmm. Hmm. I'm, I'm going to, I, I just double, I just, I just second guess myself. I was going to say I'm going to take the over because I think USC will rely on the passing game. But then I think about it like, USC might not put up a ton of yards on this Fresno State defense. The, the most they gave up last year was 307 to San Jose State. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. That's tough. And actually looking at the numbers, uh, Fresno State has not given up 349 since 2015. That was way back in the Tim DeRuiter era. Wow. BYU had 362 in 2015. So, four years ago. Oof. See, the, okay, so the funny thing is you said those things, and those things were supposed to discourage me from taking the over, and yet, as you said them, I thought to myself, like, screw it, take the over. The, 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 this defense hasn't seen Michael Pittman, Alonar St. Brown, Tyler Vaughns, Devin Williams, and I think that USC will... One feature, I think, of this offense, which uh, I I feel like I wanted to mention it in one of our past episodes, but remember when we were talking about offensive coordinators and who USC could hire, and I was big on the David Yost train yep, uh, from from, um, Utah State. And now at at Texas Tech. Right. And one of the things I really liked about David Yost's Utah State offense was that they weren't afraid to just throw it long and and really take advantage of the long ball. And... um, because of the way that the defense was situated, because of the way that the offense was situated, it wasn't just speculative efforts downfield. It was taking your shots when they were available to you because you've set them up. That is what I think I've been seeing from USC in the offseason, in practice. I think that is what Graham Harrell's endgame is, is to set you up to take your shot long, and you have the athletes to hit your shot long. So I think that USC is going to put up some explosive plays in this game. And I think that is going to add up to the over on 349 passing yards. All right. I, um, I think that's sound. 
I'm going to take the under just because I think that's so many yards based on USC and Fresno State's history. I think that the passing game can be very impressive without USC having 349. They could have 342. You know, like, yeah, it's a big number given that SC hasn't done it. But I wouldn't be shocked if they had that many for sure. Uh, So that's our over under. Uh, Let's move over to the rot index. If you're new around here, uh, the rot index is a number that we put out uh, that says basically this is the number that USC needs to hold teams to. Uh, If USC scores X amount of points, they will win. And then we flip it around. If USC holds Fresno State to X amount of points, they will win. Uh, This stems from a few years ago. We were talking about uh, how many points does USC need to hold uh, Washington State to uh, or score against Washington State. And in like two or three straight games, we ended up nailing it. So um, we ended up calling it the Rod Index. So that's the dealio. Uh, Alicia, what is the Rod Index uh, on the first side of things? USC scores X number of points, they will win. Okay, I think that if USC scores 30 points, then they will win. And I think I'm basing that on the fact that Fresno State averaged 34.6 points per game last year. I don't think that they're going to be able to maintain that average again this year. Uh, because of all the offensive turnover that they're having to deal with, because of the new offensive line, the new quarterback, the new wide receivers, all of that kind of stuff, I think they're probably going to be a touchdown less than that. So when you combine in the uncertainty around USC's defense, maybe they give up 24, 25, 27 points. But I think USC's defense is going to be able to hold them under 30 so I think that USC needs to go above 30 to guarantee victory. All right. Uh, I will, I'll, I'll give you that. Um, I think that if USC scores 30 points, they will definitely win the game. On the flip side of that, I think if USC holds Fresno State to 20, USC is definitely going to win the game. Would absolutely. you agree with that? Yes, absolutely. 1,000% if USC holds Fresno State to 20 points then USC will win the game. Yes. Yeah, and if SC holds Fresno State to 20 points and loses, oh my God, I don't even want to look at Twitter. No, 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 no. And we've already established that the the offense has the tougher deal in this game, but this offense, again, going back to last year, there is no excuse for this offense to ever score less than three touchdowns in a game. Especially against Fresno State, yeah. Yes. If you're playing Alabama, sure, but like you're, this is not Alabama. Yes. And so Fresno State's it's a different defense situation. has been good, but USC has too many great athletes who should be able to be three players need to make one big play in order to get mm-hmm. three touchdowns in this game. Yeah, that's that's a good way of putting it. Uh, let's talk about game predictions. Bill Connolly's preseason numbers had USC by 7.7 points with a 67% win probability. Vegas right now has the line at nine and a half. For the Trojans, Alicia, what is your score prediction? Okay, I'm going USC 31. I'm going Fresno State 20, 24. Uh, but so not a cover. You're you're picking no, the Bulldogs to cover here. No, I'm I'm picking Fresno State with the backdoor cover. 
uh, because I think Fresno okay. State's going to score a garbage time touchdown. Okay. I could see it. I, I, I could I could definitely see it. Uh, I, I think for me, this goes down to, again, SC is getting Fresno State at the right time because their offense is has to replace too many dudes. Um, I think this is a situation where if you, if this USC team as we know it right now was playing this, uh, had, there was a weird time uh, machine that, you know, it's November's Fresno State against September's USC. I think it's a whole different ballgame, but it's not. Uh, and so I think SC should be able to hold Fresno State down. Uh, they'll have maybe a little bit of hiccups on offense, uh, working out the new kinks, working out against a defense uh, led by Fresno State playmakers like uh, like Michael Walker. I see this vaguely similar to what Fresno State did against Alabama. They lost 41-10 to uh, two years ago. I don't think it's going to be that much of a wide-open win for USC. But it'll be similar because USC holds Fresno State down. SC wins 34-13. I would love for USC's defense to hold Fresno State to 13 points. That would be very I, good. I think there's a very good chance. Yeah. G- given what we know about this Fresno State defense and given what we know about USC's front seven, uh, I would I would feel pretty strongly well, that's, that it's on the table. The big wild card that we haven't discussed yet is on, on this score is how much of Fresno State on offense was Kalen DeBoer? And how much of it yep. was Jeff Tedford? Yeah, and Kellen DeBoer, the offensive coordinator who has moved on from Fresno State to Indiana. Um, yeah, someone something to consider. We should have mentioned it earlier. Yeah, Who we floated as a possible USC uh, should look at him candidate for offensive, for the offensive right. coordinator. So he's legit. Yep. Uh, so that's going to wrap up our picks. Let's go to the mailbag and wrap this thing up there. We'll be right back. You've got mail. All right, Alicia, let's start with an email we got from Dan. I saw some rumors today that uh, 9 a.m. Pacific kickoff idea remains alive for next season. Have the conference and athletic departments considered playing East Coast road games for this time slot? The conference gets the time slot and the fans get interesting road games. P.S. If a 9 a.m. road game actually happened, when would the players and coaches start their day? 6 a.m.? 4 a.m.? Just walk south after the last call at the nine zero, Dan. <laughs> uh, yeah, you would you would think that if you're going to play a nine a.m. game, it'd be easier on the road, um, because it's noon. Um, but I don't think that that actually works that way. Uh, for one, the, logistically it wouldn't work because the way the the deal goes, uh, the home team carries the TV rights. It's the opposite of the NFL. In the NFL, the road team carries the 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 TV rights and the in college football, the home team carries the TV rights. So one of these Pac-12 games that's a 9 a.m. kickoff that we're talking about is going to be a Pac-12 home game. So it would have to be, uh, and you know these rumors that w- have been bantied about, Washington hosting Michigan next year in Week 1 and Ohio State going on the road to Eugene in Week 2. If those are the two 9 o'clock games, like, those are, it would have to be those and not... It couldn't be vice versa on the other side of those home and homes the year after because the Big Ten's uh, TV contract would take precedent for that. Yes, 
Also, can we just talk about how dumb that idea is? Oh, it's freaking stupid. It, it, you, I, you're I, taking away your, your home advantage by putting the game in a time slot that is more suited to the team that's coming to face you. Like, especially when it's Michigan and Ohio State. That yeah, you, you're setting, they play those you're new setting, games. You're setting yourself up to be obliterated by good programs. Yeah, like it, it makes no TV. freaking sense. Yeah, it, it's not gonna. That's not gonna help the brand of the Pac-12 to have your best teams in the Pac-12 get boat raced by Ohio State and Michigan because you've given away your your travel advantage. Yeah, and like like our our friend Trent uh, from Rainator dot com said, what are you supposed to do? Sailgating in the dark? Yeah, <laughs> like like how yeah. how does that work? Um, yeah. yeah, I'm I'm not a fan. Um, by the way, I, I take it back the idea of like it would ideally be better for a road game. No, if you're playing at 9 a.m. Pacific time, you'd rather have it at home, but you'd rather just not play those games. Uh, case in point, see what uh, Stanford did in 2015, going on the road to Northwestern. That was a bad showing for them. Uh, let's go to an email from Lamont titled, Any Hope? Question mark, question mark. Alicia and Michael, I'm a longtime Trojan fan living in the heart of SEC country. It's been a rough few years with the Alabama loss, a 5-7 and seven season, and the Cotton Bowl debacle, which I witnessed firsthand. But I have faith, and I have made a bet with, uh, with my so-called friends that before his time is up, Amon Ross St. Brown will be the next Trojan to hold up a Heisman Trophy. With the state of the USC quarterbacks, can that happen? And if not Amon Ra, who do you see as another player who could win it? I may still have time to try to alter my bet Love the show, Lamont from Atlanta. Thanks for the email, Lamont. Um, you know, good luck to you being in SEC country uh, as a USC fan. That's that's tough. But uh, I don't know if I would put my bet or my faith on Amon Ross St. Brown in this case. Not because Amon Ross St. Brown isn't yeah. a great player with tons of potential. If you wanted to to make a bet that Amon Ross St. Brown might win the Bolitnikoff for USC. Yeah, I think that's I, the bet to make. That that seems that seems like you you might have a chance there, but just context. The last winner of the Heisman who was a wide receiver was Desmond Howard in 1991. Uh the last the last wide receiver who was even a finalist for the award was Amari Cooper in 2014. There have only been three since Desmond Howard won it. Amari Cooper in 2014 was the third runner-up. Larry Fitzgerald in 2003 was the second runner-up. And David Palmer was the third runner-up in 1993. That's as close as any wide receivers have come since 1991. So Yeah, and if Larry Fitzgerald or Mike Williams didn't win the Heisman in 2003, no one's winning it as a wide receiver. Exactly, exactly especially for someone like Amon Ross St. Brown. So let's say that uh, if we're having this conversation, then things are going reasonably well for USC. That means that the air raid is working out. Amon Ross St. Brown in the air raid is not going to get credit for what Amon Ross St. Brown puts up in the air raid. We've seen that with other quarterbacks in these, you know, quote unquote systems where they'll discount your big numbers because of the of the high yeah. volume passing, I, I think that you works know. more for a group of five teams though. Uh, when remember Zay Jones um, uh, had a whole bunch of Levi Jones' brother had a whole bunch of yards, and it was like ridiculous yeah, but, numbers he was putting up at ECU. But you look at um, D.D. Westbrook, what D.D. Westbrook did at Oklahoma a few years ago, he was almost a Heisman finalist. I want to say he finished fifth 
in the Heisman but he wasn't. voting? He but wasn't. He wasn't. A, no, but he, he <laughs> wasn't a Heisman. making the point, right? No, but to even be fifth in an air raid system and have all right. those yards, I think, gives credit to the idea that I think Amon Ra St. Brown could get credit for, for doing that. You but, know what it but, would be? but he wouldn't get a Heisman for it. He'd get a Bolitnikov. He would have to. Yes, yes. But he would also have to probably be USC's punt returner and yeah. do a few things mm-hmm. there. Well, Desmond also, Howard won the Heisman on a punt return. Uh, you look at Tim Brown, who run the Heisman mm-hmm. in 1988. He was a punt returner. Like that's the way to yeah. do it if you're because you, if you're going to be a wide receiver. Because you need to have big, quote unquote, Heisman moments, right? Yeah. So a punt returner is going to have the more flashy kind of Heisman moments, and then you put together another few receptions that are big Heisman moments, and well, maybe you get yourself in the conversation. But then you also have to hope that it's a year when there are no quarterbacks and no running backs who are high profile enough or successful enough to take the cake. And how many t- how many times does that ever happen? Well, if if the system if the system is built to where Amon Ra is going to have 120 catches and 1800 yards, I think USC's quarterback is going to get credit just yeah. as much as Amon Ra St. Brown. He's going to be in that in that situation, which is what you saw with Baker Mayfield, where. Baker Mayfield finished second a few years ago and Dee Westbrook finished like fourth or fifth or whatever it was uh, in the Heisman voting. The other thing, Marquise Lee, didn't he finish fourth in, in 20 in 2012? He, he wasn't, didn't get an invite into he didn't, to, to didn't to get New an York. invite to New York, but he finished fourth. And the only way that that Marquise Lee would have would have, I think, gone to New York is if he would have played for that one snap on defense before. ASU called the timeout and got an interception and a pick six. And if he would have had like two more kick returns, like if he if he uh, catches the uh, if he catches the hail mary if against he catches Arizona, the hail mary, yeah, which is ridiculous because he was so good let that year. It's insane to say that he should have had more. But I think if we're talking about the Heisman, the threshold for a wide receiver is just it's too extreme. So as an aside, the College Football Hall of Fame came out with a all decade team, yeah. which. I don't understand why their all-decade team is from 2011 to 2018, essentially. Essentially like, 18, since it doesn't the 19 guys haven't played yet. they don't know what yeah. 19 is it. Yeah, it seems absurd to me that they have an all-decade team at all, but that Marquise Lee is not on that all-decade team. Pure and utter trash. I, I, I don't think I rest my case. I don't necessarily—I think that's, that's uh, perspective bias. Probably. I, if, but, if you look, if you look at the receivers that were on there, it was Amari Cooper and I don't remember who the other one was, but uh, not I, Marquise Lee. Yeah, but you got to remember Marquise Lee only played three years, and his junior year was was limited due to injuries. We're, we're talking about all decade team. You're talking about someone who had three awesome years. Marquise Lee had two and a half awesome years. Meh, meh. Worthy, not necessarily uh, slighted. By the way, Lamont question about the who else could win the Heisman. I think if anyone, if you're going to bet on any Trojan to win the Heisman next, you don't want to hear this, but it's it's JT. Yep, absolutely. Like because the quarterback's going to have the the best chance of getting credit for all this stuff. Uh, if Steve, JT Steve, is on, if JT is on the Matt Barkley train, where if JT replicates Matt Barkley, JT's junior year, he's a Heisman candidate. I mean, people talked about it for Cody Kessler for like three minutes, yeah. so uh, yeah. it's it's possible. Um, let's talk about an email we got from George. Uh, there could be a number of reasons to force a run play into a loaded box. 
the most likely would be a defense called the play wanting to see uh, it run against a certain look and see how players reacted. Scrimmages slash practice are often disjointed, and many offensive plays are called to mimic what you will see from opponents. If every offensive play is from your playbook, the defense is not likely to be well prepared for real games. Uh, this is a great email because it's in reference to uh, the the fall showcase that USC had. They weren't able to run the football in that game uh, a couple of weeks back at the Coliseum. They struggled. One of the reasons that they cited for that, USC's offensive coaches, was that they were running into a loaded box. I've been meaning to, to mention this. I think I, I mentioned it on the, the roundtable really briefly, but I didn't fully explain so our friends over at Traveler Hits Thursdays, they had um, Ian Boyd from SB Nation on their podcast back in December, and they were talking about Cliff Kingsbury and whether or not USC's defense could work for what Cliff Kingsbury is going to be doing on offense. And he talked about, and go back, go back and listen to the episode because it's really good because it talks about the air raid system, even if it's not Cliff Kingsbury that USC has, but uh, uh, our, our buddy Kenneth Martin specifically asked Ian Boyd about the defense, uh, and he said that what a lot of air raid teams, especially in the Big 12, like to do is force teams to run into a loaded box, force them to throw on you, because if the idea is that if you are an, a team, if you're USC, USC should be able to pass the the ball more than and more efficiently than anybody else given the talent advantage that USC has, given the scheme advantage and all this stuff, right? So what you want to do, theoretically, you could strategize to force teams to throw with you, force teams to get into a pass-happy shootout and say, you know what, we're going to force you to pass because we're going to pass, and since we are the, the team with the better players and the better scheme, we're going to win that battle every time. That's the mindset that a lot of the air raid defensive coordinators could have, and that's why I think it'd be interesting to see if USC does end up loading the box on a lot of teams, starting with Fresno State in week one. To go back to George's email um, of why that was a situation in the, the fall showcase, yeah, it's all situational. Like, what was, what was the game plan there? Was it, this is going to be the mindset going forward, and that's why they were loading the box, or... Was it more of an idea of uh, changing things up and making it just disjointed to to try to mimic things that you could potentially see in a game or whatnot, like George says? Yeah, I think it, I think it could go either way. It really could. I, I like George's explanation. Uh, that is what I would term the optimistic explanation, and I'm on board with it. Uh, because, like I think we said at the time, it didn't make sense because the whole point of this offense was to not run into a loaded box. So right. George's explanation is the one that follows for me. And along with yours, put those two together. And I think you have a, a pretty solid uh, explanation for why USC did what they did in that scrimmage. If USC's defense was basically just, OK, we're going to practice loading the box and having a, a team run, try to run up against that. And, you know, are we going to be effective when we're loading the box? Because, you know, we've seen you know, teams load the box and you still you can still have uh, success against them. So you, you do need to be capable still. Just having the numbers advantage doesn't automatically make you capable of, of stopping teams. So I can on, see them trying to get that look. On the other hand, go back and watch the Texas game of 2017 and the Cotton Bowl, uh, which was USC just running into loaded boxes and doing nothing. Yes, so. yes exactly. 
So uh, the, the season will tell us <laughs> what the truth of this one is. Yeah. Uh, let's go to a voicemail we got from Dave the Greater in Utah. Hey, everybody. This is Dave from Utah. Got another question for you. So let's say that we go not 6-0, and but maybe like 0-6 or 2-4, and something like that. Uh, our coach says, bye-bye, no more helping. Who is the interim coach? I have no idea, but I bet you guys do. We'll talk to you guys again soon. Bye. Thanks for the call as always, Dave. It's an interesting question because I don't know that there's any obvious answer on USC's coaching staff. I think there is. Who is it? You go with Mike Jinks. I, that was the that was what I was going to make. He was a head coach in the past. Yeah. You're also not being stupid. Like the stupid thing to do would be to have Graham Harrell be the interim head coach. Yeah. And put yourself in another situation where, oh, we're so excited by this young new guy who's flashy and enthusiastic and all this kind of crap. Like, no, if you're going to have an interim coach, put it in interim coach that you know for sure you're not going to hire. Mike Jinks is that guy. Well, to me, it's not about putting a guy that you know for sure you're not going to hire. Put for someone, put someone in that position who's done the job before. Yeah, who knows? Which what is he's Mike doing. Jinks? He was the head coach at Bowling Green the last few years, and he was not a good head coach. But that's fine. USC doesn't have him as their head coach, so yeah. that's not what they <laughs> exactly. hired him for, right? So, I, I think if you put a gun to my head and I had to pick somebody, I would say that it's probably going to be John Baxter in that situation if that happens, yeah. because John well, Baxter seniority. is essentially like the 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 next man up but uh if i'm not mistaken johnny nansen is the assistant head coach oh well that would be interesting i can't see that though no me neither and i can't see clancy pendergast doing it either well and then you think about it like mike jinx is the new guy on the block so it's not like mike jinx has built up a lot of cachet with the other coaches i I don't know i which is why i think that that john baxter is would be the odds on favorite for it to be so if it was me, I'd give it to Jinx. I think it mo- most likely would be Baxter. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Uh, but Harold would be the, the person people would call for. But yeah, it would end up in a situation where, um, you know, he goes 6-0 and and everyone wants him <laughs> as, the, as the coach again. And then it's hashtag yeah, no hire Harold 2020 and all that stuff. And they're selling shirts in the bookstore. So, yeah. Uh, let's go to a voicemail we got from uh, Darlene San Diego. Hello, Raina Troy. Darlene from San Diego, formerly of Grand Terrace. Just wanted to call and say thank you for all the off-season coverage. It was so great to have Podcast Weekly. Um, and then during spring and fall camps, Alicia doing CarCast was amazing. So glad I paid for Patreon. Worth every penny, um, especially having the Slack Channel open all day, every day. Get to talk to fellow robots, just about anything, podcasts, Game of Thrones, football, everything in between. Uh, it's a great way to get through the off season. If you're not subscribed, you're missing out. That's all I got to say. Um, just want to say, I hope everyone is excited about the start of football season. I am pumped. Uh, Miami and Florida is on right now, and I don't really care who wins, but I'm just happy to watch college football. Let's all be happy that college football is back. This is a time to be happy that it's just back. Anything can happen. We don't know what's going to happen with USC. But I do know I will be tailgating on Saturday. I do know that Rob will be having a meetup on Friday. And I know all that's going to be fun. So that's what I'm looking forward to. 
I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to happen in this year, but I'm just happy once college football is on. Let's all just be happy about that. Anyways, thank you again for the great coverage. You guys are awesome. Fight on and beat the Bulldogs. Thanks for the call as always, darling. I feel like we owe her money for that. Jeez. The 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 praise we trust me we're not paying Darlene to, to say yeah. these, those things yeah Dar- D- Darlene the check isn't in the mail wink <laughs> wink <laughs> but but I mean she she she's totally right about talking about college football and how excited exciting it is to have it back I'm super pumped for Thursday night AKA tonight uh, when you guys are listening to this because yeah a bunch of games I want to see Utah and BYU this weekend I am super pumped for that. Yeah, college football being back is great. And I think Darlene hits on something important, too, is that it's not just the football. It's not just the sport. It's all of the stuff that goes around it, like being able to get together with robots at a, at a robot meetup, um, being able to tailgate with your friends, get, getting the whole game day experience, the game weekend experience, all of those things, the things on the periphery that sort of spice up the whole thing. Uh, that is something that uh, I think we all look forward to. So I'm I'm super I'm also super super excited for all of that, and I'm I'm glad it's just finally here. I, I it's been a it's been a long off season, and I'm I'm glad that Darlene uh, you know has enjoyed the the stuff that we've put together. It it's been it's been really fun, but it's also been a trying off season. I think you and I would both would both agree, and uh, it's always I'm always really 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 appreciative when we get some positive commentary from people um, because so much of our days are not positive commentary from, uh, from, from people who are frustrated for one reason or another. Uh, yeah. So it's, like, it, like, it's been an interesting week on Twitter. We've, we've been told yeah. that, uh, that we're being too negative from one side of things. And we're, we've been told uh, that we're, we're basically giving, uh, Helton and the coaching staff a free pass on the other side of it. it's like well which which one is it, it, it yeah, yeah. Like, we, we can't be both guys yeah yeah um, I, it, it makes no sense so uh, and and I think intellectually you and I both know that those comments and those kinds of arguments with people are from the people in the extremes right. and that the vast majority of fans are somewhere in the middle who are just sort of here for the fun of it uh, but I wouldn't oh, say here for know, the fun of it but well <laughs> Somewhere You're, in the middle is somewhere in the middle where the reasonable and most fans, I think uh, most fans are somewhere in the reasonable I, realm, I right? I think the silent it's just that majority the ones, is reasonable. Yes, the, the silent majority. Yes. So I think we need to remind ourselves occasionally that the silent majority is is out there. It's just you know the squeaky wheel gets the gets the attention and the squeaky wheel grates on my nerves, <laughs> uh, as evidenced by this week. So. Yeah. But, Thank but, you again, Darlene. Uh, we, we appreciate it. And we love Twitter. We love Twitter. Talking about? But, yeah, we love but no, Twitter. we have gotten some good feedback from a couple people on Twitter, you know, saying, hey, thanks for what you guys have been doing all off season, all that kind of stuff. Like, like the, those kinds of things, they, they warm my heart. So thank you, Darlene, for, for warming my heart that way. It's, a, it's a, It feels good. Yeah. And I think Dave, who we're going to talk to right now from Orange County, is like bringing a blowtorch. Troy Radio, what's up? This is Dave from Orange County. We finally made it, Papa. It is college football season. I can't wait to set to Saturday for the game. Friday, the big meetup. I want to see all the rock bots who can make it. Come up to the Rock and Brews uh, up in El Segundo. Um, I've been tasked with uh, saving some seats, and uh, so I want to uh, 
So, yeah, give me a party of 20 or 25 or, or 30, however many of you guys can come up. That would be great. Um, great to see you guys. Great to sit them back with you guys. So, uh, just uh, want to thank Alicia and Michael for everything in this off season. And I know it was uh, it was a pain to get through, and, and so there was some slow weeks. But uh, you got all your hiking out of your system, I hope. And uh, say bye-bye to all your weekends because you're going to be working for the next uh, foreseeable future. Hopefully deep into December, if not January, with some bowl games. Um, I loved uh, I loved all the extra content, and uh, I want to again encourage all the robots to get out there, pay that ten dollars a month, get on the Slack. Let's make the Slack popping um, with uh, with just some good stuff, good good rants, good raves, good random takes. So you know, I'm Trojan fan, and it's it is pictures of his uh, wonderful vegetables out there in Virginia, uh, and it's and it's requests for the Rockbot meetup in Virginia. You've got Darlene now in San Diego doing her thing and uh, always inviting us out for the tailgates. Let's just, let's just make this uh, community what, what a special thing it is. Um, and it's just such a great thing to appreciate. So, again, I can't wait to see you guys on Friday. And uh, as my boy, Top uh, Georgia friend would say, fight out. See, he brought a blowtorch. He didn't just warm me up. He went a little... More than that, uh, he was overly kind. Thank you, Dave. Dave and Darlene are are neck and neck in their battle to be the number one rap robot. Like the, the the teacher's pet, yeah. They're the, the, the challenging each other, and I'm here for it. You know, comp- iron sharpens iron, guys. <laughs> the the number one robot competition is uh, is in full swing. Yeah, uh, it it is heated battle uh, for sure. Uh, that's gonna wrap up this episode. Thanks for listening, as always. Now is the perfect time, again, to head over to Patreon. We'll be back tomorrow with the pregame Q&A, patreon.com slash friend of Troy. 555, you get all of our bonus content. For 10 bucks, you get our Slack channel. Either way, you grow, help support the show. You help send us to away games. You help, you help upgrade our audio equipment and so much more. So go do that. Phone number 213-373-1872. That's the phone number to save into your phone right now. Uh, for the rant line, call us during the game if you're if you're super pumped about what USC's doing. If you're angry, if you're meh, if you're whatever, call us during the game. Tell us what you're thinking. Call us right after the game. Tell us what you're thinking. Leave us a voicemail for the podcast. 213-373-1872. Email address is reignoftroy at fansided.com as well. Uh, that's going to wrap this thing up. Uh, at least you got a final word for our first game preview of the year the final word is game day as in i never am sure if game day is one word or two like you see it both ways it's one word but like it feels like it's two how about game game plan is game plan one word or two i don't know this these these things stump me constantly a matchup matchup yeah i was gonna say matchup so like See, I, I I think it depends on how it is. Right. Match up as a verb is two words. Because how do they match? How up? does USC match up with Fresno State yeah. versus but if the you're matchup? The matchup is just one word. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but but my point still stands. Like game day. It's a it's a noun, so it's just one word. I think. If you say so. That's fine. Okay, that's fine. So the final word is game day. Game day's coming up, guys. Excited. All right. All right. That's gonna wrap this thing up. I uh, will see you next time. We'll see you at the meetup on Friday, 7 p.m. El Segundo, Rock and Birth. Till then, see ya. See ya. See ya. See ya.
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.